Welcome to worship at Grace Lakin. This service was recorded on September 4th, 2022. Pastor Rem Dias brings a gospel message from the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 1, verses 3 through 11, titled, Does This Have Artificial Sweetener? Well, good morning. Great to be with everybody this morning. Um, we always like to begin our worship remembering what we're gathering around, the reason that we are planting a church. And that is our mission statement printed at the top of your worship guide, which can be found in the back if you don't have one. And it reads, by grace, we are rooted in the gospel, committed to growing together, and sent to love Lincoln and the nations. If you please rise, and we will all join chat in the call worship. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, today's call to worship is based on Psalm 46. I will read the other portion that says, uh, You can all join me in the golden portion that reads Paul. God is our refuge and strength, the very present help and trouble. God's love surrounds us every day. Our God is merciful and gracious. Turn your backs upon idols, worship the Holy One of Israel. Blessed are all who stand in awe before God. Happy are all who walk in His ways. The love of God has chosen us. The love of God unites us with all His people. God is our judge and our source of life. God is our comfort and our refuge. Please remain standing as we worship our song. Thank you. 
fill this God-shaped hole in our hearts. You are the only thing that can bring us lasting joy. And today, we lay down those strivings and all of the goals that we've set for ourselves. And we just remember that your ways are higher than our ways, Lord. And we want nothing less than what you have for our lives. So God, please just help move our hearts closer to you today. Remind us that it's not our own works that have gotten us anything in life, but you have blessed us way beyond anything we could ever deserve. And let us just be with you, be in fellowship here you've promised to be, where two or more are gathered. So we know you're in this place, you're moving in this place. We pray for your spirit to fill all of our hearts, to move us out of this community and change the world to be more like heaven. And until the day comes that we get to be with you. Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Well, today's renewal comes from Romans. Romans chapter 12, 9 through 18. It says, Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgression. Wash me thoroughly from iniquity and cleanse me from sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Your pastor has felt like that. I mean, have you ever felt like that against you? You obey by sin and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Have you ever felt like that? That my sin is ever before me? It's just, it seems like it's ever before me. And here is what the enemy wants us to do this morning, to look at our sin and think it's greater than God's grace. And let's just remember that if Christ has done the greatest thing, like if, if God has done the greatest thing by sending his son upon the cross, will he not do the lesser thing by forgiving us? He's already said, hey, hey, you want to you measure my love? You come in here, am I really loved? Look at the cross. Let's look at the cross. And it's all from the cross this morning. Bringing that sin that's ever before me, ever before your mind, upon him. So let's take the time to sign up for confession. Father, do you know that we try to make a name for ourselves? At the essence of when we reject you, at the essence of this sin ever before us, is saying we know what's best. And Father, I admit, like, would you purify my heart, my soul, my mind this morning? Would you? Purify us this morning. Would you just help us to be a people that doesn't make our name great, but your name great? We we are we're obsessed with your name, the glory of your name. And so, um, thank you that while the weight of sin is is heavy, that God again that. You meet us. I love it. Father, that you know when Peter asks you, how many times should we forget? Seven? You say, no, 77 times. Look, your, your mercy and grace have been. But at the same time, Lord, as we stare at you, as we gaze at your glory and who you are, Jesus, that, Father, it would move us more to delight in you that, Father, our sin, just our sin, the things that we struggle with, 
less and less delightful, and we would taste more and more of your glory and say, that's what we long for. And so, continue to be with us throughout this service. Help us not to treat it as another Sunday morning, as another passage, another song, another liturgy, and another sacrament. But this is the day that you have made, and may we rejoice and be glad in it and not see it as a Uh, 1 John, 1 John 1, 8-9 says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. That's a big statement. We need to be honest and open with Him. So if we but, and do this amazing thing, that if, ifs in your Bible circle, if we confess our sins, that's a big if, if, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So rest in that promise if you are confessing sin this morning. Amen. So once you stand, let's continue to sing this morning.
have here. Uh, if you have your Bible, uh, turn to 1 Timothy. Uh, we, again, we started a sermon series last Sunday, and we're, we're titling it uh, The Church Defined, because right in the middle of Timothy, we have uh, why, why Timothy wrote this letter. He says, I hope to come to you soon. But I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how I ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church, the living, um, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. So we we're going to be asking this question um, using First Timothy again: is what 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 does a healthy church look like? What how can we? Dive into this letter, which again, Paul's like, this is this is really how if the gospel is going to permeate your your heart, here is how it should play out. And and so I'm I'm excited uh, again. And uh, chapter one, we're going to break it down uh, into two sections. So we'll be in just three through eleven today, and then next week we'll do we'll finish the chapter. Uh, but so we'll be starting at verse one. Um, I mean, starting at verse 3, chapter 1. It's on the screen. Let's dive right in. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus, so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving, by, by swerving from these, they have wandered away into vain discussions, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Now, we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Understanding this, the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane. For those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, for the sexual immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, and according with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. Okay, let's dive right in. Uh, I'm titling this message, Does It Have Artificial Sweetener In It? And, oh, so turn your neighbor and say, Does it have artificial sweetener in it? Ask him, ask him like you're really concerned. Alright, don't ever ask that. You've never asked that either. Uh, maybe I'm the only one, but let's dive in. Lord Jesus, uh, I am, um, you know, I admit that I can't, I cannot do this this morning. And, Father, at times, I just, I just need your spirit. Like, I, you know, I just want to hold this word up this morning. I just want us to look, you know, keep our hand close and our finger close on the text so we can see 
And I understand we cannot see this morning. We cannot hear. Our hearts will not be moved without your spirit showing us what's here, convicting, stirring, comforting, and then leading us to the cross. So Jesus, help me to exalt the glory of the gospel. Help me to exalt your glory this morning. Help us to be aware that there is such a thing as false teaching and aware. We'd be a, we'd be a church that loves the gospel. And when we say that too, we'd understand what that means. We love your truth. And so just thank you for your work with it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, how many of you guys love Western Kansas flies? Anybody? Any? Yes. Okay, okay, couple. Yeah, flies. Uh, so I, the flies here are just completely different. I think they are, like, I, I'm not raising my hand to agree with you guys. I'm not, yeah, I think you just like them because you're, like, killing them with a sweat. You know, something. Uh, but I can't believe how much they bite. Like it is just it, it crazy to me. Uh, just the biting. So I think they happen post fall. I think flies were like beautiful things, and then now post fall they they bite. Um, but uh, I was reading about uh, and I, I read a little bit about flies this week. And you know, you can catch a fly with something sweet, right? You can catch flies with something you know like honey. But that's why they're just all over your, your picnic. Um, and the common phrase, you can catch more flies with honey than you can with vinegar. Everybody heard that? I just heard that this week. Um, so, new to me. But however, flies, I, this is my learning this week, flies, okay, will, will actually be just as drawn to uh, something that has artificial sweetener in it than the real thing. And uh, that they'll die by this artificial sweetener. And so, you know, uh, maybe take note, maybe how much we're drinking off of I don't know. Uh, but they, they'll, they'll, they'll die. They'll replace it with the real thing and it will die. And one commentary I was reading um, as it came to this idea between these two flies said this, in the same way artificial sweetener can be dangerous to flies, Artificial gospels can be dangerous to believers. Alternative gospels that distort God's intended redemptive activity and lead humanity to suffer the just results of sinfulness. These gospels do not reconcile people to God, do nothing to redeem human sinfulness, and thus must be condemned in the strongest possible way particularly since God has provided in the gospel of Christ the way of escape. So, chapter 1, chapter 1 is massive. Because before Paul, before Paul starts talking about how, you know, how you should order yourself, how you should get elders or deacons or maybe what you should do with prayer in your church or maybe even what you should do with materialism in your church before he gets to any of these really important topics he's going to say the most important topic the most important thing that should be a mark in your church that should lay the foundation of your church is that you should guard the purity of the gospel at all costs you should guard it because there are, there, 
as we will see, there's, there's distractions and there's distortions happening in this church. That's why Timothy is going to Ephesus again. And he's saying, he's, 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 man, he's right from the start saying, okay, guard it, Timothy, guard it. You've got to make sure you guard it, guard this gospel. And I think sometimes you can hear that. And, 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 and sometimes we can hear, oh, false teaching, Ephesus, like medicine, genealogy. It's like, oh, that doesn't pertain to us, man. Like, there's not, and I would say, hold it. No, 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 We are never, and here's the reality, no church is without temptations of artificial sweeteners. Artificial gospels from distortion and false doctrine. And so, you might be asking yourself, okay, well, uh, <coughs> Raymond, not your job, but you're, you, you know, <laughs> And I said, yeah, I, I have to hold this word up. But this morning, here's what I want to do. As we pack, as we unpack this scripture, I want to help us. And we're going to ask two questions because I really believe this is what Paul is trying to show us this morning is, one, how do you, how do you recognize false teaching? How do you see it for what it is and say, I don't know, I don't know. And then, so how do we recognize false teaching? And then, how do you recognize the truth? How do you recognize the, the purity of the gospel? How do you recognize what guarding the true gospel actually looks like in a body? Okay? So, that's where we're heading. Looks like a lot of people are enthused about that. Uh, and, and so here we go. Hey, it's Labor Day weekend, everybody. I'm glad you're in church. Here we go. So let's let's dive right in. First question we want to ask is, what does the false, what does false teaching look like? In verse 3, he says right here, I urge you when I was going to Macedonia, Macedonia, remain in Ephesus. Now, uh, so will that word remain. I thought that was really interesting. There's a diamond in here. Uh, so he, he tells, Paul tells Timothy to remain. Now, we learned last week, uh, Timothy, he might be timid. He might, he's a young leader. And, and I think that this is not a, 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 just a, a Passover word. I honestly think that maybe uh, T Timothy has this pressure of saying, wow, I don't want to go to Ephesus. Look at all these false teaching and all this. This is a heavy church. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm out. I'm packing my bags. I'm going. And Paul's like, no, 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 no. You got to remain. And this is a side application. Remaining was the harder decision. Remaining and telling that church that, hey, uh, you guys are off when it comes to some of your teaching and some of this, was the harder decision. And as a young pastor myself, I was, you know, this is your pastor's own simple. Sometimes I run from hard. I don't like conflict. I don't like, hmm, like I just run from it. And, and often, guys, if we constantly in the Christian walk, listen, Jesus sometimes leads us to the hard things, the hard discussions, the hard, the hard conversations. And in, for the sake of his grace, if, if Timothy would have ran, what? He was going there so that he could say, hey, hey, let me, let me help us. Let me get us, let me stir us back on track here. So he says remain. And remain, why? Why does it remain? Because right there in the text, so that you may charge. Now this word charge is like, ugh. Charge is a military term. It literally, you know, like command, like charge. It's like a strong rebuke in, in love, as we will see here in a minute. So he's like, charge certain persons. Now the text doesn't exactly say 
Next week we'll see. Um, <coughs> next week we'll see that he will actually name some of these uh, these teachers. But right here we see uh, that they, they are in some type of leadership in the church. So he said, go there. So he charged certain persons um, to do what? And again, it says not to teach any different doctrine, no to, nor to devote themselves to myths and genealogies which promote speculation rather than stewardship from God that is by faith. So these false teachers, plain simple, they were teaching a different doctrine. Now you might think, well, that's a big word. What does Paul actually mean by a different doctrine? Like doctrine, what does he mean? And I think when you ever, again, studying the Bible, and you think, what does this mean? Always look within the context of the book itself, uh, because more likely the author is going to give you an answer, and he does. So if you flip over to 1 Timothy 6, chapter, uh, chapter 6, verse 3, he says this, if anyone teaches a different doctrine, it's the same Greek word, a different doctrine and does not, and here's his definition, and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ in the teaching that accords with Godliness. A different doctrine for Paul right now in the context of this letter is any doctrine that is taking the aim off of Christ. That Christ is not the center. A different doctrine is anything that is outside the bound of Scripture, of what we see here in the Word. And listen, guys, this is the number one mark of, again, how do we, how do we recognize false teaching right here? The first little sign for taking notes you can put is do they exalt Christ? Is Christ being magnified? Is the glory of God and what He has done in the redemptive work of Jesus being on center stage? You know, I've quoted him here many times, but uh, again, Charles Spurgeon, he was super serious about this, and I love it what he says. He says, the motive... Of, a, of all true servants of God must be this. We preach Christ and Him crucified. A sermon. He says this. A sermon without Christ in it is like a loaf of bread without any flour in it. No Christ in your sermon, sir? Then go home. And never preach again until you have something worth preaching. Ah, you read those, like, whoa. And why though? Why such disturbing words? It's because you come in here, and you come in here, and it's not, hey, come in here, and let me, uh, you know, make you feel a little bit better. Let me tell you a little good, little self-help practical things that can make you feel better. No, it's come in here, look at Jesus. It's come in here, let's get in the text, and let's look and gaze at someone who is greater. False teachers want to put the attention on them. It's wanting to divert the attention on, on, on trying to appease man and not. And in the midst of that, we miss exalting 
Christ. And so he said, no, it's Christ. Second sign. So that's the first sign. Second sign of what false teaching does, and it's right here in the text. It adds, it adds, they add words to scripture. They add to God's word. And you see this with all this, I mean, it's kind of strange, right? These myths and endless genealogies. And you're like, what is happening? Like, that sounds really foreign. Well, what was happening is these leaders were taking Old Testament texts, okay, and these genealogies, and they were saying, and they were following these genealogies, and they were saying that they were they were making assumption out of the, these genealogies and, and, and putting attention on these long list of genealogies and saying there's there's hope in this. And they and there's two ancient texts that they were using. The book of Jubilees and, and uh, another ancient text that would go, and what they would do is they would just go beyond scripture. And they would speculate. They would speculate about these certain saints and be like, oh, this person from this line, this genealogy, oh, this person's a. And they would speculate. And in modern day, you might think again, you're like, what? I mean, you, ain't, you don't talk about genealogy in your own time. In modern day, though, like, we have to see this kind of plays itself out. I mean, I thought the best example, I don't know if you've heard about this book, The Bible Code. I don't know if you've heard about this book or any, but it's like it claims that there's 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 secret hidden claims in the Bible that if you rearrange certain letters in the Bible and, and names that you can actually uh, you can find the prediction of some world events. And people do that with the Bible. They take it and they rearrange it. And it's like this. And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And also, so that's what they're doing. But you, they wanted something new. They wanted something new. And you talk about, again, I, that's relevant today. You think about it. How do you get published in our world today? Give me something new. We, we need something new. Something, something new. Give me something new. And then and, and out of the sake of new, we oh, the Bible is old. And out of the sake of newness, what we can do if we're not careful, our culture is like, okay, we're going to add to school. We're going to say, hey, this, we're, you know, this is not really what it's saying, but we're going to add. We're going to add to it. Literally, some of these teachers were saying things, as we'll see in the, le the letter as it goes on in, in chapter 4, that they were saying things like this. They were adding to the scripture saying, oh, you can't even be married if you want to be holy. Oh, there's certain, there's, certain, there's certain foods that you should avoid. And in the midst of, again, trying to draw in, trying to get the attention of the people, again, because they're not exalting Christ, they're more pointing on them, they're saying, okay, let me give you something new, let me show you something new, and, and then let me add to it. Guys, again, we, it's Christ, it's Christ, it's Christ. So we have to see that, again, in our whole of our flesh, for some reason, it's there are certain teachers that say, hey, I'm going to add, here's some, I'm going to take this verse and say, 
you just live by this verse, you'll be a better person by Friday, better person by Sunday. Let me just, come on, come in here and let me just tell you how to do it. No, it's come in here and let's see what Christ is. And the same thing, too, when he goes on this one more thing he says right here. That there are there's certain speculations. False teaching can even bring about speculations. And what's he mean by that? Like, what's he saying? They make confident assertions, and they don't understand the law, but they, they do this, and it creates this speculation. And a verse that you can put in your mind, by the way, and put in your the bank is Deuteronomy 29.29. I love this verse. I think it is a verse that I, I, I need to meditate on all throughout seminary because it says this, Deuteronomy 29.29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord. And again, what these false teachers were doing, what we can in, end up falling in is majoring on minors. Majoring on minors. And what... Oh, thanks, brother. I needed that. You knew that. Am I yelling this morning? Oh, okay, okay. Thanks, Alan. Um, so, they were majoring on minors. They were, again, taking these small details of Old Testament reality and just say, well, let's just... Let's, let's dive into this and let's speculate about this and let's and, and what happened? It confused the church. And again, you might think, well, what does that have to do with me? Modern day. I can tell you right now, okay? Let me just sit in uh, been in church for a long time and sitting in seminary classes. There are certain believers who say, okay, yeah, creation account, seven, twenty-four literal days. I have some professors that take that stance. Other God-ordained, filled, amazing men of God who would say, no, 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 it's not seven 24 literal days. We, we, you know, God still created it. He still made it. But it's over an extended period of time because how the Greek breaks down the fourth day. Okay? Now, both of those are orthodox beliefs. Like, those are truth things. Like, but what tends, this is where we fail. Sometimes in the church, we're not careful. Is we bank our whole ministry, a whole life of our church, off of this detail. And we make a big deal out of it. And in the midst of making a big deal out of it, we diminish Christ. And people who might hold a different view on, on that thing. There's certain doctrinal things that are clear in Scripture. Absolutely. No, again, we're part of the Reformed faith, right? Our soteriology, how we believe about salvation, is a, yes, we believe it's God's work. Our brothers and sisters down the road, though, from a Wesleyan background, Arminian background, might be a little bit different when it comes to the soteriology. But if we hold our head high for a second, thinking we are better in any way, hold it. It's Christ. Yes, take our stances. But again, a a clear point, what they were doing is they were putting so much focus on these minor details. And, and, and this was the aim. This was their focus. And they were missing Christ. So false teaching can be recognized by making little of Jesus. 
added to the Bible, causing speculation and confusion, and making ma majoring on minor details. See that right there? Now, what does true teaching look like? And you see this? It's really interesting. Like, you know, I skipped verse 5, but I think verse 5 is really the linchpin that holds this whole text together and comes around, right around verse 5. But now we're going to jump down to 8.11, and you're like, 8.11 just seems weird, right? You read it, like, what does he mean here? And, and he just got done, Paul just got done saying what the law, how you shouldn't use the law, how the law, the word of God, how it shouldn't be handled. And now in verses 8 through 11, he's going to say, hey, this is how you should handle the law. So right here, verse 8, now we know that the law is good if, everybody circle that word if, that's a big, the law is good if one uses it correctly or lawfully. Now, when he says law here, he means the Mosaic law. Okay, you know, more specifically, that could be summarized in the Ten Commandments. So we have this Mosaic law. And, and what Paul said, he said the law is good. And we even see that in Romans. Romans 7, verse 12. He says, so the law is holy and the command is holy and righteous and good. I mean, you even see this in Psalm 119. Psalm 119, the longest chapter in the Bible, by the way, is about the psalmist saying, oh my goodness, I just love your law, your law is holy, I want it to be off this light, let me crave it, let me love it. However, did you notice the circle thing? One must use the law lawfully. I was listening to a pastor on this sort of, I mean, on this text, and he was saying, he titled his message, uh, I thought it was really clever, uh, The Bible Can Mess You Up. And I was like, whoa, what do you mean? Like, that you're not getting your attention. I'm like, hey, I thought we came around the Bible. was good. Like, well, the Bible can mess you up. And he meant because, and he gave this illustration, like a compass, okay? He said, a compass is what? Is good. A compass is good. You know, if what? If you know how to use it. If you don't know how to use a compass, oh, bro, you'd be like, you'd be more lost than you did if you, I mean, in the first place. And so, He's just about to dive in and say, okay, here's actually how you handle the law. Like when it comes to Old Testament law, and you're at the coffee shop and hanging out and talking about how to use it, he's, he's just going to say, here, here's the right way of how we should use it and understand it. And he says right here, understand this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for the sinners, for the unholy and for the vain. For those who strike their fathers and mothers, for those murderers, their sexual and moral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. I'm like, what? Wow, the law is for murderers. And, and here's what Paul just said. The law, if you use it to... The law is good. The law is good if it's used to show you your sinfulness and not to be used to justify yourself. See, in the history of the church, the history of the church has come up with three uses of the law. I think Paul is really using, emphasizing one use. But I want to remind you, and it was interesting. I was like, I've said this like grace before. I did a little search. 
Uh, when we were at the Galatians sermon, I know everyone remembered that we talked about the three pieces of the law. And uh, so I don't need a review. Let's move on. No, uh, I know. It was actually a year ago today that I talked about the three pieces. That does all that we It was like maybe on September, on the first Sunday of September, it's ordained that we talk about the uses of the law or something. I don't know. But the first use of the law, how do you use it? When you come to the Old Testament law, okay, first use of the law, a lot of times it uses it, it's a mirror. Take notes. It's a mirror to expose your sinfulness. It's like an x-ray machine. Ah, man, that's broke. That is a broke arm. Uh, one, one pastor, uh, it's a little bit helpful for me. He's like, it, he, he says the law is like a ruler. It's a ruler that shows you, oh, yeah, that's just how short I actually am. I'm that short. But then he says, oh, but this is what we do. We actually use that ruler, and then we start saying, oh, this is how short you are compared to me. Uh-huh. No, sir. It's a mirror. It exposes your sinfulness. So that's one use of the law. Second use of the law, which I think this is what he's aiming at right here, is the law is meant to restrain you. It shows us, it shows us the line of good and evil, and it's supposed to restrict us. Kind of like a speed limit sign. Like, no county or police officer is putting, is putting a new speed limit sign up because everyone's disobeying the speed limit. No, why do they put the speed limit? Because you're going 50 through the, I mean, you're flying through, so what are they going to do? we got to put up a speed limit sign. So hopefully what? Restrain. The law is meant to show us, oh man, and that's what he's saying in verses 8 through 11. You have these massive sins. And really, if we took time to break them down, every one of them lines up with a different Ten Commandments. And it's saying that the law, and these are not according to sound doctrine, and the law is meant to restrain that behavior if we're under sound doctrine. The law is meant to say, oh, not justify behavior, but to restrain it shows us our sinfulness, it restrains, and then it's, this third use of law, it's a light and a lamp. We know we cannot be saved by the law. The law, the moment you say, this is how I'm saved, by the law, by doing it, you miss the gospel. It's not, but, just, the law is also a light and a lamp to us. One author says, only the gospel only the gospel in which the righteousness of Christ is offered to us by faith is able to justify. Amen. Hallelujah. Yet the gospel does not lower God's legal standards. The law remains useful for driving sinners to Christ. That's the first use. Restraining us. That's the second use. And then teaching believers how to live for Christ. So, he's saying true teaching understands how to use this law. The law cannot save, but it points to the one. Which leads me to my final point, and then how we recognize true teaching. And this is so massive. If you haven't been paying attention, you've been thinking about what I'm going to do one day today, when I school to Hey, wake up. Verse 5. The aim of our charge is love. Everybody say love. There you go. That issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. 
He says, the aim of all this, you want to know the aim of what I'm coming to you? You're like, yeah, I'm little Timothy. Like, oh my gosh, what am I going to say? Hey, by the way, you teach teaching false doctrine. Ah. The aim of my charge is love. From a good conscience, meaning that, not time, but meaning right obedience. Say, man, this is being obedient from a good conscience, obedient, a pure heart, He's made a good character, centered on others, not self in a sincere faith, means a deep trust in God. But Paul is saying the opposite. He said, the most unloving thing I could do is not come to you and tell you the truth. That would be the most, my charge, my charge, your charge is love. Sit with me for a second. First Corinthians 13. This is just powerful. And I've said it before. Forgive me. Sometimes I forget. But you have the love chapter. Most of the time it's read at wedding ceremonies and everybody's like, oh, it's so great. But I love it. It says, if you have all the prophetic powers in the world, if you understand all the mysteries, all this, and if you had faith to move mountains, if you if you gave all your money away, if, if you do all these and you have not love, what does the text say? You are like that noisy gong. Oh my goodness, that loud, obnoxious. Woo! See, good doctrine, good theology is not good doctrine and good theology if it's not breathed out of love. Agape, self-sacrifice, like, I care for you more than me. Wow. See, false teaching errors when it puts the weight on one or the other. Puts the weight on all love, it's all love. And oh, you don't have to believe. The scripture because it's just out of sake of love, and out of love, you don't. And then you compromise doctrine and truth. But then if you're all about doctrine, truth, Oh, this is what the text says. This is what the text says. Don't you know? We were formed. And you are a jerk. Ain't nobody. It's doctrine. Good doctrine always leads to love, and good loving always leads to one good doctrine. They go hand in hand. He says, I am aiming. My charge is love. This is hard. This is tough. I, I know. I'm telling you, basically, the same little Timothy guy comes into this church. Hey, you're off. But my aim is loving you because I know your eyes are off of Christ. Let's land the plane. The most important thing in the church is the same project gospel. See, I don't know about you, but I can hardly stand things that have artificial sweetness in them. Like, I take it and just like, Like it just because why? Why can I? Because I've tasted the real thing. I understand what real good sugar tastes like. And listen, the best way we guard the gospel here 
the best way we do it is we drink deeply of the real thing every single week here. And every single day, we get immersed with it. We don't get tired of it. We keep coming to it, understanding. We keep saying, oh, you have to renew it. We keep saying, we come to the law. We understand the law is exposing us. And then, oh, we understand that the law, oh, man, it's restraining us. But I don't know about you, but it only restrains for a little bit, then I break it again. Loyalty was so cute. Though, and she said, Dad, I try every day to get up and not sin. And then I just do it anyway. So she get, I mean, she, I said, hey, good sister, here's the great news. Run across again. We love the prayer. Run to Jesus again. And so that's what we do. We get soaked in it. We get soaked in the gospel, falling, surrendering, knowing he's the only one, the perfect one, who could live out that law perfectly. And we come in you, we don't yawn on it, we don't look at the sacrament, and ah, we get immersed in him. And so then that way, when there's not, there's someone teaching or saying and it's drawing and focus on you or what you've done and or you and it's just it's not centered in the scripture you just you look at it and you're like I just don't know because as verse 11 says the gospel is what the glory of the blessed God this is his gospel this is the glorious truth and the more we're satisfied in it, the more we recognize the artificial sweeteners of the world. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, God, you are glorious. You are holy. Father, I want us to be people who love this truth. We love your gospel. Who who look to Jesus, who look and we come to the law and we see ourselves falling short, it would not crush us. It would not, it wouldn't lead us to despair, but lead us to the hope and the redemptive work that Jesus, you're the only one who is perfect. And Jesus, I pray we would think rightly here. We would be, we would, the, the, the foundation of this church would always be Christ and Him crucified, the gospel, the glorious truth, and we go deep in that. And as we go deep in that, we would be people who lay down our lives gladly. Our charge, our aim would be love. So thank you for your word, Holy Spirit. Do the work in us that we needed to hear and help us to be. Apply that truth to our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we come to a perfect segment because we come to the Lord's Supper. And one of the ways we guard the gospel is coming to the table. And you know what the table says? The table doesn't say, okay, all right, uh, I'm going to check all your list of do's, what you've done, not done. And, and now, because what you've not done, no, it's, we can come to the table again because Jesus took, swapped your place. He took your place upon the cross. He took your sin upon the cross. He took the ways that you couldn't obey the law upon the cross. And again, I love the words of the institution. He says, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. 
that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this, man, do this often. Remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup of the new covenant. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Drink this as often. Drink it deep.
Romans 15, 13 says, May the God, and the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Have a great rest of your Sunday. Be blessed. Thank you for joining us at Grace Lakin. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Grace Lakin KS, on YouTube, and at gracelakin.com. Thank you.